I'm your host, Ben. And I'm your host, Brendan. And we're back here after a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah, it was a kind of a vacation break. Uh, summer hits in Arizona and everything sort of like changes a bit because, you know, it's hotter than God's balls. It really is. It's been it's been um, it's been hotter than hell down here in a very in a very like literal way. I mean, partially because hell doesn't exist, but but mostly because it's just really, really hot here. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly hot. Um, so, I mean, we, we didn't really plan on going on a break. It was not, it was never in the plan to do that. Uh, there was a somewhat humorous story of me attempting to do a shadow sworn with Adam where he was all set to record and I was all set to record. And then I ended up being at my house and I didn't have my house keys on me. And so I had to call and cancel. And then, and then I had to leave and go to LA. And then when I got back from LA, things were kind of stacking up around here. So, um, yeah, we took a little break, and we're not dead, and we're happy to be back. No, we still managed to get some time to find some gaming in, and, uh, you know, I guess uh, we're ready to keep going. Yeah, we're ready, to, we're ready to get this ship back out of the harbor and into the the, the seas of fate with uh, with Elric and his chums. Um, so tell me, Ben, what, what have you been up to lately? Well, let's see. I think that... In sort of a gaming context, the first thing I could say is I'm working on my own game. Good. Been uh, I, I don't know. I, I think after after tra- talking with Josh for a while when he was here, I um, I sort of had a change of heart in a lot of ways, um, about uh, developing my game, and I decided to develop my own system. Cool. Um, yeah. How's that going? Uh, pretty pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I I don't have a lot of experience running games here. Um, when I say a lot, I mean, I don't have a lot at all, very little in fact, but I'm trying to get more uh, uh, to sort of help my design, um, process work better. Um, and I, I sort of like where I'm at. I've uh, got some ideas, um, throwing them around and, uh, trying stuff out. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, Jax likes my idea too. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) And, uh, you know. Uh, that's, 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 uh, I think probably the most significant thing going on in my gaming life. Um, but you know, I'm also, uh, I'm also, uh, playing, uh, magic quite a bit lately. How's that been going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Eternal Masters just dropped. Um, for those of you that are into magic, you know what that is definitely. For those that aren't, it's like a new set that's like a promo set kind of, and, uh, has, um, you know, a bunch of reprints of old cards, um, it's a uh, it's a great draft set for those who love drafting. Um, I played some board games too, actually, fairly recently. Um, I tried. So we've been playing Shadows of Brimstone at work. Yeah, we have been, haven't we? Yeah, we just that's finished. been that's been interesting. Yeah, yeah. We you know every so often we like bust it out at lunch and uh, we play for a little while and put it away and come back to it. I think we just finished our first cave adventure, which was an epic cave adventure. We did. It took us a little while. Um, I had warned Dustin that Shadows runs quite a while. You can you can get six, eight hours out of a session, and uh, we've been doing it in these little 45-minute fits and starts, and 
it's with setup and teardown and record keeping it's been it's taken us quite a while to get through that first that first cave yeah especially because we weren't like you know, hitting the right tiles to sort of finish it and it just kept going and going and going yeah that's part of the game yeah i know Deaths. yeah it definitely is um but I've, i you know I, I like shadows and uh, another similar bent i've played uh i played some descent again recently did you when uh two weekends ago how was that um interesting so I never, I was never a big Descent fan. It always felt like, like the the worst part of role playing to me, without like, without sort of like the fun part of role playing, where it was just like, hey, let's yeah. let's go into a dungeon and kill some stuff. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, I can do that. I could also role play and do that if I wanted to. Um, but I guess you know, uh, Jason, this guy who I was playing with, has a new app that uh, is called. Uh, the road to legend app which allows uh which actually makes the, the computer sort of a has an app that acts as the uh the master or whatever oh so you don't have to have like a gm guy no and then everybody else is just cooperative oh and that's kind of cool yeah yeah no and that was actually a lot more fun plus it had like some cool flavorish stuff that would happen during like while you were traveling to the dungeon like you know you run into a goblin that's hurt and you guys get to decide what you want to do does it have does the goblin have a name does it have a character you can interact with or does it just say you encounter a hurt goblin no, it, says you encounter, it says you encounter a hurt goblin and it gives you options of what you want to do it's 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 on some of them more replicating a video game sure sure still it's it's a cut above where descent was um and lastly i guess for what i've been doing recently is yeah I ran my, I think, yeah, I definitely, since the last time we recorded, I've run my first game in, like, 15 years. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute, right? We will, we're going to we get into that if, into some detail, right? Spoiler, it's Kuro, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, Kuro was the shit. Um, so then, so what, what have I been up to? What's Brian been up to? Uh, let's see. Well, first of all, this last weekend was Free RPG Day. So if you're listening to this, this is post-Free RPG Day. And I went down to Game Depot, and I ran into Adam from Shadowsworn down there, and I ran into our old high school chum, Mikey O, and they were both playing a Descent-like board game. So, interestingly, that, that segues pretty well. It's called Myth. Have you heard of it? I, I actually have heard of it. So, and kinda, I saw some of the Facebook updates about it, too. It's kind of cool. It look, it, it, I, I, I didn't start out playing with them. I was just kind of watching, and it seemed pretty cool. Uh, you they have, have a, like modular dungeon tiles and that kind of stuff. You have modular dungeon tiles, but you don't build a big snaking maze. It, you just have like a board, and it populates with monsters. And when you've cleared the board, you put a new board down, the, which is where you're going. At least that's how they were playing it. And it wasn't like a traditional fantasy game. It wasn't. There were some orcs, I guess, at one point, but everything had kind of almost an anime feel to it. Now, normally, I kind of am you know, averse to the anime stuff. But I feel like anime is working itself into sort of the pop culture mass subconscious in such a way that it's beginning to integrate itself into the Western language in such a way that it's not obtrusive. You see what I'm saying? Sure, where it's just sort of part of the milieu rather than like Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it's not just cudgeling you with like, oh, this is an anime thing. Like, oh, here's like a giant-eyed girl with like rabbit ears or something. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, more like instead of there being a big eyes, you know, small mouth yeah. game, it's now like 
Exactly. Influence is exactly the word. So there was this there was this really cool rat ninja guy who you can play, and he is apparently some kind of shapeshifter dude who ships into shifts into a rat form that was pretty sweet. And then and then he can turn invisible. So there's two models for him, and one of them is made of clear plastic. I thought that was awesome. And the models themselves are pretty cool. Uh, that retails for like about a hundred bucks. And I was thinking that if because we're kind of wondering what's going to go on with shadows because. Dustin's running that at work, and he's feeling frustrated by how sort of complex it can be and how time-consuming it can be to do little things. Um, and I, I totally relate, because when I went up and played, I played Shadows at Jeff's house a month or so ago, and it was it was like watching Kenny Rogers the Gambler or something. <laughs> he was just sitting there like with all these chips and tokens, and his, his hands never stopped moving. That game doesn't have a game master, but you wouldn't know it from watching him play because he had to just be on it all the time, recording, yeah. recording XP, and so many of Oh, my God. That Shadows is just for people who love tokens. If you love tokens and cards and like just this incredibly tactile experience of board gaming, then Shadows of Brimstone is for you. If you're looking for something a little bit more, I don't know, less of that, then Shadows is probably to be avoided. What else have I had going on? Oh, you know what? Um, You and I are getting ready for Leprechaun here. That is true. This weekend is Leprechaun. Leprechaun. This is going to be Full Metal RPG's first convention. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little trepidatious. You know, I had I had a lot of stressful thoughts about it last week. I was like, man, it's going to be busy and you're going to have so much to do. And and then I was like, you know what? This is going to be, you know, pretty relaxed because, you know, Leprechaun's not a huge con. It's not. Uh, it is almost spelled like Leprechaun. So we'll just have a joke be out there. It's, it's Leprechaun. Leprechaun. I like thinking about it as Leprechaun. Though. Leprechaun. Uh, no, um. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever been to uh, to a small convention before, really. So I'm kind of excited about that. Just a bunch of people who are sort of into the same stuff and, uh, you know, get, you know, trying new things out, seeing some panels, selling some merch. So we're going to sell a little bit of merch. We got the we got a new run of the FMRPG shirts in. These are the ones with the, the Born to Kill logo on the back. And, and I know I, I may have been promising this for a while. I've been bad. But I'm going to go ahead and put some of those up on Etsy tonight so that uh, you guys can take a crack at them if you want them before we get them into con mode. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it, we're where we wanted to be by this point. I know we that I had wanted to have not. some, like, yeah, I wanted Holy to have some, shit. some quick start rules for my game, but obviously I'm not there. Um, but, you know, this is life. Uh, we got lots of stuff going on, and, and uh, you know... I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's well, going to be a blast. I think we've changed directions a little bit. I know that I have. I've been working on a lot of stuff, like some stuff that I'm not necessarily at this point ready to talk about on on the podcast. But I've been it's not like I've been sitting around watching MASH in my undies or anything either, you know. I've 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 been hard at work. Um and I guess one of the things I've been working on is a secret game. But yeah, I he's am, been tormenting us with this like uh, game he's yeah. been working on at lunch when we weren't playing Shadows of Brimstone about. And he won't let don't tell anybody what it's about or what game it is or I go what in, system it uses. I go anything. into this this little <laughs> office, this side office with the door closed, and I'm I go in there and I write my notes for the game. And he 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 wants us to commit to it without telling us anything about oh, it. Oh, I have not asked anybody to commit to anything. <laughs> no one yeah, don't I'm, stretch. I, I, at this point, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I know what game it is. Oh yeah, Fatal. 
Oh, fatal. Yeah, definitely. Fatal. You guys got me. I'm running. I'm gonna be running a first through twentieth fatal game. No, def. I'm not. I don't even know if fatal goes to twentieth. I don't even know what goes on in that I game. I have no idea. I know that I found the PDF rules for it, like lickety oh. split. Yeah, I, I found them by accident. Is that was <laughs> you just asked? Ax- oh, hey guys, what's this? Well, everybody knows I wanted to roll my penis size. Yeah. Well, for it, so. Yeah. Well. Um, thinking about adopting some of the systems in my game. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Make sure you uh, have a detailed explanation of how math <laughs> works in the <laughs> front, the front introduction. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that, and I think that that game is going to be pretty good because I've been putting a lot of front end work into it, which is something I didn't necessarily do with uh, Rage of Demons, and. Um, I just have to say I'm really excited for the game. I'm really excited for the game. And I don't know who's going to want to play. I don't know if I'm going to have any takers. If I just if it just ends up being me, then maybe I'll do it as a play-by-post with Jamie from Coliseum Rex. Maybe, maybe because I know Jamie will be down. Um, and then in a couple weeks after Leprechaun, you and I have Crit Hit. And... And and in that we're actually gonna be running games. We are actually gonna be running games. We're not gonna be just yep. sitting at a table like a couple of slobs, like selling T-shirts and handing out copies of Dark Dungeons. We are gonna be gonna actually be working for the money. Yeah. Except yeah. there's no money. There's no money because this is role playing. I don't think there's any money in role playing. But um, a lot of game designers would definitely agree with you. That's what I hear. So I'll be uh, running Lamentations at that at Crit Hit. If there's anybody in Phoenix, I know that I've been on you guys about Crit Hit, but Jim Miller, who's hosting that event, has opened up some tickets, to my understanding. If you've missed them, you can still get in on Crit Hit. You can come down, and I'll be running two sessions of Lamentations of the Flame Princess, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. I'll be running them in two separate homebrewed campaign settings. The first one is my mythic Transylvanian horror campaign setting called The Rotting Throne. The second is my... German industrial city of darkness called Fleischwolf. And both of those games will be very different from one another. And I would highly recommend you guys coming down and experiencing some Lamentations of the Flame Princess with me. Because both of them will be brutal. I promise brutality. And I plan on running Kuro. And if you have any desire to try Kuro, come down, try it out. It's an awesome game. So in our absence, Ben and I... uh, so sat down, we talked about the format on FMRPG, and we decided that, you know what, man, damn the man, damn this, like, every week thing, we're going to go back to the old, the old twice a month thing, and uh, in addition, so we're, so we're going to be going back to our longer format, our 90 minute format, and we're going to, we're going to introduce some segments here, so this was the what are you up to segment, and we're going to be coming right back in just a second with the what products are we looking at segment. So, uh, enjoy some metal music. We're going to insert some metal music right here. Hope you enjoyed that fucking rad metal music. Fucking rad. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is a new segment. We're going to talk about sort of what's new in the world of gaming, what's coming out, all the wonderful games that we're like looking forward to 
or that just came out and you may not have heard of them and and uh, you know we encourage you to check them out. Yeah, I mean this is it would be insane for us to try and cover everything, but sure. we're just gonna recover. We're gonna cover the stuff that we are into because definitely you know I mean this is on some level one of the things that's really fun to talk about in role playing is what what's coming out, man. What's the new book? So uh, what, what what you got, Ben? What's on your list? Well, I think that, you know, at this point in, like, release history, or I guess in, in the release process for games, uh, it's impossible to talk about what's coming out without talking about Kickstarter, all the crazy shit that's on there. Uh, I'm I'm currently involved in two Kickstarters, I think, that close up pretty soon here in the next, you know, so many hours I think they're on. Oh, boy. Yeah, Red Markets, which uh, is a fucking rad game. You should definitely check it out. Uh, it is, uh, it's funded enough so that it'll probably go into publication. You'll be seeing it in game stores. And when you get a chance, you should check it out then. If you haven't checked out during the Kickstarter process, um, it funded like crazy. Uh, so fast. The yeah. guy who's running this Kickstarter is brilliant. He, uh, the, the game obviously has a big following on G plus and they funded in, in a couple hours for, for 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 a developer who I don't really know his name. He doesn't seem to be backed by a particular yeah. company. Never heard of him before, but it was amazing. And the game seems like it's a really interesting idea. Do you want to want to fill us in, Ben? Uh, it's like a economic collapse horror game. It's uh, with zombies. With zombies. And uh, you know, um, you can you can I. The art that he has on the Kickstarter is very reminiscent of like anything you've seen in sort of like a economic style futuristic collapse where, uh, you know, people are like pushing around shopping carts full of garbage and trying to subsist. Um, it looks awesome. And uh, I am excited to, to see what happens in that game. I think it's a game for the times. It's definitely a game that reflects the horror that people are feeling in these in these strange and turbulent times when we have these kind of wacky presidential races going on, and we have this stuff going on where Britain's trying to leave the EU, sort of. I mean, and, and people feel weird about the way that things are going, and they feel resentful, and this game definitely taps into that sense of uh, survival horror and economic uncertainty. I mean, it, you know, you can turn on, uh, you can turn on any sort of uh, uh, radio station and hear people talking about the next coming collapse and investing gold bullshit commercials, you know, so oh definitely God. does tap into that. That's back again? Yeah, definitely back again. Yeah, so I think the other uh, Kickstarter I'm supporting right now is Hollywood, uh, which, you know, should finish funding shortly after this is recorded. Um, it's a French game originally that they're translating. It seems to be like kind of a trend on Kickstarter right now where they're, they're translating games. I know that... Uh, uh, what was it the Dark Eye? Just the Dark Eye, yeah, yeah. That Aqualara game that I, that we were looking at Ooh, a while yeah, back. Yeah, I missed the boat on that. Uh, that bad boy. Good. Um, but Hollywood is just another one in the long line. Of, oh, Simbarum. Yeah. Hell, World is Hollywood is just another one of the 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 ones in line there. Um, and I think it just looks awesome. It's like a, a pulp game, not not really pulp. I guess I guess noir yeah, game, a little bit. Kind, kind of pulpy noir, I guess. Um, with it takes place in a fictional setting called Hollywood. That also has like devils in it. Um, it looks awesome. They've released a little bit of the stuff. To, I mean, even just looking at the character sheet that they have posted <clears throat> on there, just looks great. So it's like Sin City with like Infernalists. Yeah, kind of. That's kind of what uh, it seems like. That sounds um, great. 
Yeah. It really does. I wanted to back that, but I was just I'm just too broke. I'm spread too thin these days. You know, I keep I keep looking at my pledge and I was like, I don't know if I want to pay that much cuz I'm I'm like in on this one pretty deep. Um. Yeah, you you went cult <laughs> crazy on this one. I, I did it went crazy, man. But the problem was the levels they'd set up. It was just like it was just like, well, if I want the book, then I got a bid X amount of dollars. And then if I want the the new book, I got a bid X amount of dollars. And then they have these cool like like things that you can add on. And then by the time it was all said and done, I was like, well, I want all the books, and I kind of want these add-ons. And then I was like, well, at this point, I might as well get the leather-bound ones because it's like 10 bucks to get the freaking leather-bound and all three books or whatever. That's how they get you, man, with the add-ons. Yeah, I know, man. It's crazy. So I get everything they have, and it's like 150 I think. But it's a little painful. If Colt had had a leather-bound upgrade for a mere $10, I would have done it. But yeah. it wasn't. It was th- That was just like carving off my own flesh and giving it to them. Yeah, I... I I've been putting a lot of money into Kickstarters lately. Uh, I needed to cut back a bit. Um, Hollywood's the last one I have going. I was in another one that I thought was pretty cool, which was the Cool Mini or Not board game, uh, Massive Darkness. I had to withdraw. It looks really sweet. It's it's a dungeon crawl board game. Tons of good-looking models. I think funded a uh, million dollars, I think, in a day. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it it's crazy. Um, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, like, I took a look at the models over your shoulder, and they look pretty rad. Yeah, they they look good. Um, and there's a ton of them. They hit like all of their goals essentially. Uh, a few add-ons. I think you can you can get out free and clear. I think for like uh, I think at this point about two hundred dollars to everything. And you know when you talk about buying a board game and then the supplemental materials and whatnot, you're looking at two hundred bucks anyway. Yeah. So to to be really in depth in a board game such as that, it ain't Monopoly. But when you stack that on top of a bunch of other role playing obligations, then it's I can see where it'd be a bit much. I know I know you have some uh, Kickstarter stuff to talk about. I want to talk about one more though, and that was another one which caught my eye, and I I had to back off of just because I'm spending too much already, and that was the Simbarum's Thistlehold. Oh yeah. Yeah. This so is, this this is an an FMRPG endorsed kickstarter homies you gotta get out there and take a look at this thing some barum first off just looks like a great game i i wasn't i wasn't following kickstarter too much when when uh when the original translation went up um it's originally i think a dutch game um i wasn't following it though uh this i think they have an english edition that should be hitting store shelves at some point um yeah mofitis is gonna um distribute it in the united states in, yeah. the, in its english version yeah anyway this this uh this kickstarters for like their first adventure book uh thistlehold uh and i think the idea is it's going to be like this epic adventure that spans a whole bunch of different books they're gonna i think uh release a bunch of them on kickstarter uh and it's sort of meant to sort of build the world inside these books uh the the world looks great the system looks fun art's fantastic yeah. the art is absolutely fantastic art is great uh, like I said, if I wasn't into the other two that I was into, I would have, uh, I would definitely like join this one. Oh you, yeah, you can get the book as part. You can get the base book as part of the Kickstarter if you. I think it's a hundred dollars to take you up to the level to get the base book as well. When when it reaches the distribution level, I will be buying it at a um, FLGS. I will too. Ha- however, I feel like with some of these Kickstarters and where they have kind of gotten me derailed is that. Part of the idea of Kickstarter is that it brings a project that wouldn't otherwise exist to life. 
And when I see these books and they fund in the first couple of days and then, oh, you know, we've passed these stretch goals, so we're going to get wide distribution and stuff, so it's going to be out there at stores. And you're kind of like, well, do I really need to buy it now? Do I need to sink the money uh, in at this exact moment? I mean, I, I hear that. I, I, I still think it's a great tool for that. Uh, like, like certainly, I don't think red markets would, would exist without like. Uh, no, clearly, clearly. I mean, I mean, that guy's like, I don't know who that guy is, and and you didn't know who that guy is, and yeah, and uh, but the game he's put up is rad, and everyone who saw it seemed to think so too. So yeah, and I think it's it's gonna be great having that in the world and available for people. But I mean, the delivery date on that one is December of 2017, and as much as I want to to fund it. I'm like, whoa! I'm I'm pledging money now for a game I'm not gonna see for 18 months. Yeah. I mean, that's that's rough. I mean, that's that's rough. I uh, on my longest Kickstarter, my longest Kickstarter at this point is about I'm about that deep into it, and I I've just forgotten all about the game. I've forgotten all about the money. It's like sunk cost at this point, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you're you're on a Kickstarter, right? Okay, so this is my last one. This is my last one. I've had so many of them. And it's just become a real drag on my budget. And I have other things I'm going to be doing. I have money I want to put into FMRPG. I have money I want to put into other projects. And, I, and at this point, my ridiculous fucking Kickstarter habit is just getting in the way of it. And quite frankly, it's also getting in the way of me supporting my local game store. Yeah. Because every time I go into my local game store, I know the owners. And they always look at me and they go, oh, hey, you're going to pick something up today to give me this look, I think. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so tapped out. I spent all my money on Kickstarter. And they... and it's it's a disruptive model that is giving money directly to the producer and it's cutting out the middleman and i understand that we're in this like strange time where economics and 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 economies are changing but but there are real people who i know who are being affected by yeah, this and not to mention the fact that they still do a wonderful job of promoting the hobby in yeah, like, exactly. on a daily basis and, and keeping keeping it alive and there's value added in that and i want to be part of that value added so i am wrapping it up and this is my last kickstarter is for driftwood versus which just funded, but we'll probably have a backer kit, and people will be able to go, and they'll be able to find it. It's a Lamentations of the Flame Princess uh, campaign setting. It's written by Clint and Cassie Krause, who put out the Vacant Ritual Assembly zine that is my favorite Lamentations of the Flame Princess zine. In fact, it had an article in it a year ago or so that was essentially the seed that this campaign setting came from. And the way he talks about it... Uh, Clint Krause says that it's kind of like Dune, yeah, or, or Dark Sun. It's 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 meant to give you the same feeling of sort of like despair and and uh, lack of of resources that Dark Sun gives you. Only instead of being in a big desert, you're in this huge roiling ocean that's full of all this creepy, weird, weird shit. Um, so I'm very stoked for that, and I really couldn't pass on it. His write-up on it was super great. As much as the f original article I thought was, like, only okay, um, the, I think that the way that the campaign setting has evolved over the last year, 18 months, just makes it a not-to-be-missed campaign setting. So I'm hoping that you guys, when Driftwood Versus comes out in print, because Clint Krause, he always keeps his stuff available on his uh, Red Moon Medicine Show page, I'm hoping you guys will check it out, especially fans of things like um, Carcosa. I think I, th I feel like there's some stuff in there that's, that's sort of based on the Carcosa model. 
So that's my last one. And then I'm fucking done for a while, man. I'm fucking mm. done. But speaking of limitations, there's some uh, recent releases, right? Dude, so many releases for limitations. Um, right now at your local game store, you should be able to pick up World of the Lost, which is a big encounter book. It's a wilderness hex crawl is how they describe it with 200 encounters that take you from first through fourth. And that's pretty rad. Also available is the somewhat controversial Towers 2, which was written, at least at least a rough draft of it was written by Guar Frontman. Uh, how, how do you say this? D- Dave Brakasik? I, I can't remember his name. The, the Frontman for Guar, man. I don't know. Anyway, bu- uh, before he died, he wrote this. He wrote this dungeon crawl that's supposed that's supposed to be just like incredibly lurid. It's supposed to be so bad, and I think the I heard a rumor somewhere that the um, original guy who they hired to edit it actually removed himself from the project. He didn't want to be associated with it anymore. It was just so unrelentingly foul. So of course I have to own it because I'm the Lamentations of the Flame Princess player, and when you say to me that something is unrelentingly foul, I have to own it. Uh, there's two books coming out that are available off of the Lamentations page, but I have yet to see them in a game store. I have yet to see them offered via Diamond or whatever, so I'll be looking at them when when they become more widely available on this side of the ocean, but be on the lookout for England Upturned. Um, that's a English Civil War adventure that has new alignments for Lamentations of the Flame Princess, where... Your alignment is your political affiliation. And I'm like, that's, oh, that's kind of badass. That's fucking rad, right? Um, and then there's also in that there's going to be new cleric subclasses uh, based on what religion you are. Because in the English Civil War, there was a lot going on about Protestants versus Catholics. I think that that will be a big boon to the game. Because it, it, when, you, when you read Lamentations blogs and stuff, uh, one of the big problems is is that the cleric's not very juicy. He, yeah, I mean, clerics are never very juicy, at least in my I opinion. I always feel like they were the most boring class. Yeah, it, there's something that's tedious about the entire prospect, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it's just me as a as a sort of an atheist type guy out there who like has to sort of, you know, think about like 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 as a character faith in some other extraplanar power or whatever that like. I guess. I mean, I find I, it bothersome. I don't know. I, yeah, me too. There's something about it that's always the the cool gods that you want to worship are never available as starting characters. And then there's something about the way clerics are written so that it doesn't really seem like you are doing anything. You're just sort of like a different spellcaster who gets lame weapons and bad spells. I I don't know. I'm, I'm bad I'm, and or utility spells. Yeah, I've never liked. I've never liked that. So. Uh, developers out there, um, write some fucking compelling ass clerics that I want to play because I'm just I'm sick of it. I'm over it. Uh, we got a little bit of news for Onyx Path stuff for you know books that are coming out. If you're if you're inclined that way, of course I am. I'm always watching this now. Uh, they had this problem when they were doing that s- that little wrangling with with Paradox. They didn't know whether they'd be able to hold on to the licenses, so they had all these books that were in there and their development process, and they had to just kind of sit on them for a while while they got all the contracts hammered out with Paradox. And so they've been coming out at this breakneck pace, and that that pace vastly outstrips my budget for Oof. for World of Darkness books. So I'm behind at this point. Like, I had to pass on Demon Storyteller's Guide, 
uh, Made to the Awakening, second edition is out, don't have that. Um, more recently, Werewolf the Forsaken, second edition, released a book called The Pack, which tells you how to build packs for your for your werewolves. And then in the sort of thing that they're doing with Beast, where they're trying to make it a bit more crossover friendly, apparently there's rules in there for other supernatural creatures joining werewolf packs. So that's huh. kind of interesting. I'll take it. I think that sounds great. Prometheans and geists and vampires and stuff and werewolf packs, I think it sounds great. Because the, the basic rule set has ideas for how whatever their version of kinfolk is oh uh, well, i think they're called wolf-blooded how they integ- makes, yeah i think that's right yeah yeah th- how those guys will integrate into a pack and i thought that that was a cool sort of what's the word i'm looking for yeah cool mechanic uh innovation is cool team member innovation Remember innovations are very <laughs> useful and so I'm open to more things. I think that I think I think that World of Darkness being a little bit more crossover well, friendly was, is fine. First off, Beast was written so that it could like like mesh with anything, right? Yeah, that allegedly. Was, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, like it doesn't set off Predator's taint. It like you know that that, that the Beast is out. If you guys want to go and get your POD copies of Beast, now I haven't done an in-depth look at the book, but I would recommend taking a listen to the review of it on Darker Days Radio. Uh, Chris Hanley and and friends do a big a big and very in depth review of it and they're not very kind. It's really diminished my uh, enthusiasm for Beast quite a bit, but um, they keep they're gonna keep making books for it. And apparently they are rolling forward with the plans for the next World of Darkness book, Deviant. And from what I hear from the pre production of that, that's gonna be a good book. Um. Black Hand Guide to the Tamiraha is also available for print on demand now. I am so stoked for that one. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Uh, Ghouls and Revenants for V20 is available as a um, PDF only at this point. It's one of those advanced PDFs, so you can go in there and like help them out with the editing and whatnot. But that's good because Ghoul books are great, and I'm lo- really looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Uh, especially that they added some new ghoul families. So. Oh really? Yeah. Usually they don't do that with these these V20 books, but they're kind of starting to stretch their wings a little bit and enter enter into these new. They're doing new things. Uh, if you get Rites of Blood, you can see that they do are doing some new stuff, and that's kind of cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. And uh, lastly, and this is not a book that I'm super super jazzed about, but you you guys out there who are Chronicles of Darkness fans should know about it. Dark Eras is now available for POD. Um, that's the book that has all these weird time settings to play your different games in. And it took strange games and put them in strange time settings and and uh, geographic regions. So it wasn't like, oh, let's do Victorian-era vampire, because everybody wants to see Victorian-era vampire. They, they did really weird shit. Like, they did, like, um, prehistoric mage, for instance. That's in there. I'm like... Like when they did like seventies New York werewolf, okay. So that sounds kind of cool, actually. I mean, I, I think that there will be stuff in there that will expand the game. There's no doubt in my mind that it will expand the game franchise. But it was not enough to tickle me to to dig deep for the Kickstarter, and um, you know, and now it's out. I'll pick it up eventually. I'll pick it up eventually once I get check some of these like other other more important books. I don't, I don't mean to dog anybody saying more important, but to me like uh, Black Hand and <coughs> Revenants, and then even some of these other Chronicles of Darkness books are just in line way before that. That's just like weird supplemental material. There's a, there's a setting where you play like 
turn of the 20th century Geist in New Zealand. Okay. Apparently there was like a workers' strike down there or something. Huh. <laughs> it's a, it's a How big weird. Deal. I know. Anyway, so that's that for me. Yeah, I just want to give one more shout out here, and that's to Magic. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Eternal Masters just dropped. Um, now, it's unfortunate that they do this, where they do these limited release sets that happen to be fucking amazing drafts. And uh, Eternal Masters is definitely definitely one of them and falls kind of right in line with Modern Masters 1 in that um, it is definitely worth checking out. Uh, if you have the means, I highly recommend. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, this is all, I guess, uh, sort of in the wake of the or the ramp up for the new set, which was Eldritch Moon, which comes out in a month. Right on, man. Well, now we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to have Ben Mandow. Welcome back, and we are joined now by our friend and role-playing companion, Ben. Ben, welcome. Hello, Internet. And uh, it's been a while since we've had Ben on. Yeah, he last time he was on, I think, was the Gamer Social Contract. Was that right? Dude, and that yeah, was, that was a while back. That was like ago. fucking forever ago. That was like in February yeah. or something. Yeah. So uh, here we are to talk, and we're just we're kind of recapping some gaming experiences that we've had for our listeners at home. I found some of these games to be very rewarding and very insightful, uh, and I hope that the people at home will too. Um, now, Ben, we okay, we got two Bens here. This is God. Anyway, Bens, all the Bens. How about just Bailey and Ben? Uh, Bailey and Ben. That works for me. Works for me too. So, <sighs> Bailey and I are doing crit hit and we're doing we, we're, we're gonna be at leprechaun in, in a few days here now now hold off just in case somebody hasn't heard what's crit hit well we were talking about it earlier oh never mind it's all good. <laughs> it's all good it's all good man so um we wanted to run some of our our games we're planning on for for those Man, I'm just I'm conventions. F- I'm just I'm fucking terrible right now. How about you, Ben? You go ahead. Roll. Do go. Do, sure. do something, man. I'm, sure. I, I don't know what the fuck happened to me. I I don't know if this is my idea or your idea or just sort of like worked out to be sort of both ideas at different points. But um, you know, we were uh, talking about running games at Crit Hit. Uh, we agreed yeah. to run some games. I think you're running two, and I'm running one. Um, and then we had talked about. We were like. Yo, we gotta knock the rust off. We gotta actually oh, yeah. do some. We got we, we gotta make sure we're, we're we're limber and ready for this thing. Sure. I, I mean, I went I went. I'm going into it like you know. At this point, I was thinking about like I was fucking scared, and I was like, I hadn't run a game in like 15 years, and the last one sucked balls. So, uh, and you know, I was a lot younger then, and uh, it, it, I was I just wanted to like shake it off and like see if I could do it and see like how it went, and know what sort of work I had to put into before like. Crit it showed up to know whether or not I could run a game that was like fun for people and enjoyable. Right. Yeah. And, and to that end, we did a little kind of mini con at my place, 
and uh, I was supposed to run Lamentations, and you were supposed to run Kuro, and then Adam from Shadow Swarm was supposed to come and run Gamma World, right? Yes, correct. And then Ga- Adam couldn't make it. Which was a shame, because I wanted to see some Gamma World. I wanted to see some Gamma World also. So I put up a event on Facebook, and I just invited everybody who I knows who knows. Everybody who I know who plays role-playing games. And we ended up getting, like, what, three people or something? <laughs> I think it was four. We got we got, we got Ben. Ben came out. We got Phil. Alex. Oh, Phil came out. And then, and then and then Heather was there. Heather and us in this room. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I ran first, and I ran Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Who wants to recap what happened in that game? Yeah, we were doing two-hour blocks. Two-hour um, blocks. Very straightforward, short, pulp-style, weird fantasy adventure. Yeah, and sort of a uh, sort of a uh, lamentation spin on Transylvania. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just like if I was going to summarize it, hey, you're traveling. Bad stuff happens. There's a big storm. Shelter in the crypt. This is why you shouldn't have sheltered in the crypt. Yeah, okay. That's that's definitely the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, we had. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that, that was that was basically the premise. That was the outline. And on the one hand, while it may sound boring and cliche, if I'm just giving you those highlights, the actual herbs and spices that were used made it a very fun two hours. Did you have a good time with it? Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. His character had a nice heroic death at the end. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I... I felt like it ended up being kind of, as you were saying, it was kind of generic. It was a little bit too... I mean, the the feedback I got at the end of the session was that it was too predictable. And that really made sense. On the one hand, I wouldn't necessarily use it as my home game or a campaign game. Right. But if I'm signing up at a convention for a one to two hour slot, I know this is going to be a very short, self-contained plot. Yeah. And I'm okay with something that might be a little more classic maybe that i've seen before because yes if i've played nothing but ravenloft and world of darkness for 10 years i don't want to play that adventure but right. if i'm coming in off of let's say Shadowrun, numenera and a little bit of apocalypse world no that's awesome i want to have the experience of wow i'm in a conan story oh there's a crypt i totally shouldn't go in it but i know i'm going to anyway <laughs> yeah yeah I and mean, that's sort of what i was going for i wanted there to be these kind of classic fantasy tropes of well you're guarding something and you that requires you to travel through some woods and then things aren't going well in the woods but I didn't want there to be goblins or wolves or any of that kind of crap because everybody's done that. That's like too much. That's like that was like too familiar. And then I felt like the kind of Barrow White's uh, wraiths in a crypt thing was sort of harkening back to Tolkien, and people would would get something out of that. Uh, really, the only <laughs> I would say weakness, maybe, and it's not a bad weakness. It's just a very minor one. Is that there was a moment where the players needed to buy in and and give that suspension of disbelief of, oh, there's a child NPC who's being really creepy, yeah, and my gamer sense is tingling, but it will really mess up the adventure if I just say, cool, I I murder the boy and walk (laughs) away. See, this is one of those moments where I kind of wonder what, like how that would go differently or how I could do that differently because 
I have this thing about playing little, playing little kids as characters. I have a really hard time with them. I don't know a lot of little kids, and I just hate it when you meet like cutesy kids in a um, fantasy role playing environment. Has this ever happened to you guys, where it's where the GM is presenting you with 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 like these this pastoral villagers, and there's always like some some child who looks like he just like the cherubim kid who's like. Who's like perfect in every way? Yeah, he's like he's like trundled out of some kind of Thomas Kincaid painting with 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 warm bread for you. Has this ever happened to you guys? Sure, sure, oh, absolutely. Oh God, there's of all the tropes in in fantasy gaming, that one is just the worst. It really sticks in my craw. I guess I've been lucky because I've gamed with a lot of teachers, uh. so they know that kids can be horrific little monsters as well as angelic cherubs. So teachers are very good at portraying the gamut of emotions a child can bring. I just don't know a lot of kids. So playing them is difficult for me, and I feel as though even when I try to make them seem like little good little chaps, they end up coming off like Damien Omen. Like I was, I really wasn't, I really was trying to make him early on seem sympathetic. Which was what was so weird because you guys, I was like really surprised when you. Okay, so 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 for the listeners, the conceit of this story is that there's this kind of um, pederast priest guy who's got this 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 child servant with him, and he's he's being portrayed as this kind of loathsome character right away, and the characters are escorting him, the PCs are escorting him to this this rural town where he's going to take up a post. As all of the players are thinking, if this NPC doesn't die in the first fifteen minutes. We are killing him. Yeah, nobody liked him, and you're not. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. And then the the guy goes off to the bathroom, and and the kid goes with him, and then the guy dies. And of course, the, the you know the, the kid. As it turns out, the kid is an assassin. But the players were just onto it immediately. Well, it like immediately. I, I think I pushed that one first. And and interestingly enough, it wasn't because I legitimately thought the kid was an assassin right off the bat. It was because I just wanted to be a hard ass, and oh. so I was like, I was like, I'm gonna be a hard ass to this kid, and like, you know, be a jerk to him, because I can, and that's well, my character. So thinking about it, one of the things I like doing as a GM is returning to my NPCs if I'm running them for different players, and I I can fine tune them. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna run the exact same NPC for the same group. That's boring. But maybe when you're running this adventure at the convention, yeah. Basically, maybe think of some specific childlike traits beforehand that you could slot in to make him more believable. Because I like yeah. the, the brief instant where we weren't really clear, did the kid do it? And after the first few minutes, then, yeah, we're all suspicious. Yeah. But, like, when you had the kid crying, that was believable. Oh, when was When he it? was well-spoken, that was less believable. But I might, you know, mm. hype up the children are emotional, children don't have as much control over their emotions as adults. Okay. So just having the boy break down at the sight of his mentor, maybe he only speaks in half sentences in between his sobs. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just clutches the box, mumbles one sentence, and goes catatonic for an hour. Because that was sort of what I was going for. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna barrel into this kid like, a, like verbally speaking, and just like 
tear into him and then he's gonna cry and then i was thinking i was just gonna cuff him and tell him to stop his whining or whatever mm-hmm. but it didn't quite go down that way because everybody else picked up on it and they were like oh it's totally the kid yeah and I mean, uh, sometimes that happens right when people pick up on what you're what you're doing with your role playing and then everybody jumps on the same the same the same wagon that, yeah. can, that can be a bummer now alternatively another tactic you might consider sometimes we'll go into an adventure with like this is the truth in this case the truth is the kid is the bad guy right Alternatively, you could have two different options. Yeah. And maybe option one, if the players go this way, yes, the kid's the bad guy and it all happens that way. Option two, if the players are like super convinced the kid's the bad guy, they're trying to maybe metagame a little bit. Okay, the truth is that the kid isn't the bad guy, but his murderous father's ghost is haunting him. Mm. And the murderous father killed the priest and is still in the area because he's tied to his son and whatever happens next at an opportune moment, the kid is still going to do maybe something a little creepy, but everyone waits for it and and nothing happens Mm -hmm. and then wait a beat or two. And now the father's ghost shows up and does something horrible that the kid has absolutely no knowledge of. Yeah. 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 I wasn't necessarily focused on, on, uh, on the kid. I, I like everybody, even though I was the first one to like go on like get on the kid's case, I wasn't I wasn't one of the people who gave you the critique like oh it was too obvious. I actually didn't even think the kid was the one that did it when I got on the kid's case, which was mm. which is sort of interesting. That's just sort um, of what your role your, you wanted to do. Yeah, I just I was gonna be a hard ass to the kid because he was a witness. And I wanted to see what the fuck he knew, and I was gonna be a jerk. Is about it because it. your charisma was low? No, no, I wanted to be like a not friendly guy. Is okay. it because you hate kids, Bailey? I don't hate kids. I legitimately don't hate kids. Do you hate sunshine and puppies? I do. Well, the sunshine part and the puppies that pee on me. I just saw you playing with the puppy. Um, (laughs) It's definitely like I'm saying that because his dog just peed on me earlier. It it did. Uh, So then, then everybody's people. People were kind of onto the kid, and it starts raining. And then they looked for a crypt. They went down into the crypt, and sort of apropos of nothing, there's some ghosts in the crypt. And while they're investigating the ghosts, the little kid turns out to be this infernalist, and he's and he um, and he turns on the party, while at the same time the the ghosts animate these 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 dead corpses that the that the that are sort of surrounding the area, and there was a big fight against these these dead corpses, which I thought was the most fun part. I really enjoyed the like playing the weird <coughs> zombie creatures. I enjoyed us trying to flee rather than try and fight the ghosts. That was kind of fun. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I would say one of the strengths of Lamentation of the Flame Princess, and this is me after having played a whopping one session, mm -hmm. because the character sheets were very minimalist compared to Pathfinder or D&D, I don't have many options. I mean, yeah, I, I can fight. I've got a sword. I've got a shield. That's cool. And mechanically, playing the fighter, I am the best at melee combat in the party. But it's not like Pathfinder where I also have feats or special abilities. Right, right. So, yeah, I can throw down, but I don't feel as safe because I don't have those additional abilities acting as armor between me and the monsters. It's just I get one roll. Did I hit? Great. Did I miss? Okay, it's not like I can claim, well, I'm going to use my acrobatic dodge to give myself this bonus, and I'm going to use my halfling's luck to give myself a reroll. It's really interesting to hear you articulate it like that, because I think that that's part of what makes OSR so appealing, is the fact that it sort of depowers the character by, by giving them 
or by, by denying them essentially all of these 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 little powers and feats and racial abilities and traits and stuff that you get in these newer these new style games it it makes things much more simple and much more raw and that does create this feeling of oh god i'm alone in now, the world i'll be honest i think they went a little too far um playing a character other than the specialist I have a 16% chance of any skill I use succeeding. Well, and I'm willing to buy that, like, you don't get many powers. But that part was so painful that I, as a player, found it a little unenjoyable. Yeah, the thing about the skills, and really I should probably have a sheet with the pre-generate characters that I have made for the convention that explains this, is that is that you have to remember that the skills on there only govern those things that they say that they govern. So you have like half a dozen skills and they cannot be expanded to encompass other things. They are just for that one thing. So at that point, you get back into this very, very much older style of role playing where it's almost like narrative truth or whatever, which is, oh, well, I'm a fighter. And when I wh- where I grew up, uh, there was a river, and uh, my my master who was teaching me how to fight uh, taught me how to swim. So I know how to swim. Yeah, I think even just a one paragraph sidebar handout could be very useful for yeah. new players. Then. Yeah, because people have become, in my experience, people have become so addicted to looking on their character sheet and, and seeing a numerical representation for each and everything that they that they know how to do. If they assume the numerical representation being absent means that they don't know how to do it. But with Lamentations of the Flame Princess and OSR, excuse me, in general, it's it's much more about, I think, player storytelling and just being like, and just saying things like, oh, I'm going to climb over the wall. It's like, okay, okay, fine, you climb over the wall. I you think know? coming from, say, a World of Darkness background for all of us, mm-hmm. where I've got well over two dozen skills on my sheet, yeah. I'm used to assuming if it's not there, I can't really do it. Well, even in World of Darkness, you can say, oh, I'm going to make a raw strength check to pull myself over a wall, even if I don't have climb. But what people, I think, find incapacitating is from years and years of playing Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder, where not only do you have a list of something like 30 skills, and then little blanks to fill in new skills. But when you flip to those skills, it doesn't just say what that skill does. It lists particular die rolls that you have to make for the applications of those skills. Like, oh, this is how you use rope. Using rope, is, and it'll say, here's how you tie a rope, and here's how you escape a rope, and all this other damn thing. And you're just like, oh my, like, my God, you know? I think personally as a gamer, what I like best are when the skills represent a fairly wide array of things. Yeah. Like, um, for example, the skill academics in World of Darkness. This covers chemistry, philosophy, science, anthropology, mathematics. I don't need to have a separate skill at all of those. I have academics. Yeah. But I don't feel that now academics is so wide that I can say, hey, I'm in the kitchen. I want to roll academics to produce a tasty (laughs) meal to impress my friends over there. It don't work like that. It's true. It's true, and, and that's the thing that I think that is the brilliance of the uh, the storyteller system, is that it does ha- give you that flexibility. It does give you that flexibility, which is nice. So, should we talk about Kuro then? Yeah, let's talk about Kuro. So I How'd had Kuro go. Yeah, um, I had uh, 
you know, like I said earlier, decided to, to shake off the 15 years of rust and run a game again. That, that my goal was my, my goal was was pretty modest for that. I just wanted it to not suck. I wanted it to not suck. I wanted people to enjoy it. Um, even if just a modicum of enjoyment, I would be happy. Um, and I think I think it went better than that. Uh, I seemed to got a lot of positive feedback about it. Uh, I was pretty excited. I did the pre-generated characters thing as well, uh, which is what I plan on doing for Crit Hit. Um, my idea was uh, in sort of a, we were talking about anime earlier. In sort yeah. of a Akira-esque sort of thought, I wanted to I wanted the party to be uh, like a Bozozoku gang. Uh, for those explain, who don't know what, that, what is. that is, yeah, it's um, a Japanese biker gang who like ride around on like you know uh, bikes that are intentionally like loud and obnoxious that they like make them that way and they. You know, in a in a society that's very like about conformity, um, these guys are sort of the 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 push against that. Yeah. Now, before we go any further, kind of like warm people up and tell them a little bit about what Kuro is, because there's a possibility people are listening to this and they don't know what Kuro is, and that's really critical to what was going on in that game. Yeah. So Kuro is uh, a fusion cyberpunk horror game, um, with like the idea of of it starting out, I I sort of tell you this right off the bat that that it starts off as sort of a a cyberpunk game and and it ends up like gradually infusing horror elements um it takes place in japan in like uh essentially like you know 20 some years in the future um and uh right after a major event happens in the world essentially there's like an earthquake and uh new like nuclear weapons are accidentally launched and uh right as nuclear weapon is about to hit japan it disappears um, and the play, the game takes place in Japan after this point, and the world is stunned that the nuclear weapon disappears, and they don't know what sort of technology Japan has has uh, access to, and so they blockaded Japan. So Japan is totally cut off, like segregated and cut off from the rest of the world. Um, and so if you were a foreigner in Japan at that time, you were stuck there. If you were an expatriate, you could never return to Japan because, you know, they were, it was blockaded. Um, and uh, basically, uh, it's a cyberpunk game in which, uh, you know, weird stuff starts happening after this point. Um, and so it infuses this sort of like... Unexplained occurrences. Yeah, like, uh, like classic Japanese ghost story stuff, classic Japanese myth- mythology type stuff. I think we should point out for people who haven't played Kuro, though, this is not Shadowrun. There are not orcs and dwarves running around, and people don't know that there's an Oni living in the abandoned building. Yeah. This is much more like X-Files set in near-future Japan than the high-fantasy cyberpunk of Shadowrun. Sure, sure, exactly. Um, yeah, in fact, high-fantasy has no no place in anywhere in this. Um, it uh, It's... It, you know, when I picture it, I, I guess I picture a lot like Akira when I sort of picture it in a lot of ways. Like the weird sort of like like technological and spiritual like fusion thing that happens after the event in like Akira with like the weird like like Shintoist resurgence with the weird like it's very, very bizarre. But aesthetically, we're talking about kind of like a William Gibson novel meets The Ring. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and there is supernatural, but it's not overt. And it's not world-shattering, but it is there, and it can cause you a lot of problems. Yeah, in fact, I'd actually seeded sort of a ring-ish type hook in that game that never developed, um, 
we obviously we've been running two hours, so how much can I actually develop on this? But um, but there was a ringish hook on there with the uh, with the dead celebrity who had been like filming his concert, the Squid. Oh yeah, I I liked that. I, I felt like there was a lot of potential there, and I didn't know if that was part of the oh. meta. Oh, it or... was. It was. You guys were going to start getting rumors about, like, about like the leaked concert footage you guys all really wanted to see, and then, like, the urban rumors that started surfacing around, like... Did you, like, did actually... you write that, though, or was that part... Is that, is that in the uh, they, 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 add, they, they write a little... Ho- they write a little segment about it, but I sort of made it my own, okay. what I was doing with it. I decided to take it a little bit different direction and um, kind of run with it. Well, and something Bailey did that I want you guys to hear about and maybe try in your home games. I'm sure everyone out there has made pregens before, and that's great. And what he did that I thought was wonderful is these were very iconic pregens, but not in the sense of, oh, I'm the big tough guy. Oh, I'm the quick fast guy. No, these were, I'm the nerd. I'm the sports enthusiast. I'm the punk girl. And then add on top of that all of the normal tropes of, and we're in a Japanese biker gang. Yeah. And we all have auto mechanics. We all have, you know, riding. But we then have our individual skills of, like, you're really good at sports and you are super obsessive about trivia. But yet we're all biker youths. It let us jump in very quickly to our characters. They all had very strong and large personalities. Yeah, without doing any sort of descriptors for like how you would look, how you would be, um, what sex you were, I left that totally up to like whoever decided to pick up the character and wanted to use it. Um, I just wanted to, to to give you sort of like a interesting background like start without like any fleshed out stuff. So how how did you come to that? Um, I don't know. I think it was sort of an organic process. I uh, first off, Kuro has. A method by which creating characters that's a point by system for those who don't know um and it's based around the age of the characters and so your average kuro character is actually older than the ones that you guys were playing mm-hmm. um i used younger characters um part of it was the fact that i wanted to to sort of like play with less like powerful characters and sort of like what I wanted to do. Yeah. Sort of like uh, figure out how the game works before I like move forward. But I don't think any of us felt that our characters were less than because the situations we were in and the challenges opposing us were quite appropriate for those characters. Yeah. You guys were like, you guys were getting into like biker gang hijinks and like, like, uh, like warring turf kind of stuff. But similarly, we didn't mind when, actual criminals showed up and we all sort of nod our heads and go we're not starting to fight because we don't want to die yeah the setting felt very compelling and the hierarchy of powers inside of it felt very natural i definitely felt like it was part of it so it felt more like a movie whereas i've been in some games where through less adroit storytelling the gm has something more powerful show up and give you an order and a lot of the players rankle because well that's no fun i don't want to listen to this guy yeah but it's really fun playing this you know biker full of bravado who all of a sudden has to shut his mouth when the real criminal shows up yeah that was kind of interesting scene really so so like like uh like you guys want to just summarize the plot and we can sort of like talk about that like in a bit sure go for it so we're a biker gang. We've got some turf in New Tokyo, or Shin Edo. Yeah. And we find out that this Chinese-Japanese immigrant gang is entering our turf. So, like all 
good, reckless bikers decide to be. We're going to go over to their turf. We're going to piss a bunch of people off. We're going to shame them publicly. And then we're going to get in a fight. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. And that was fun. You guys did that very well, actually. We got to explore the mechanic I, yeah. a little bit by doing that. There yeah. Was, because it started out with a lot of role-playing. Because we all got to we all got to kind of ex- express our characters in how we chose to to to, to show this sort of uh, braggadocio, and then we got to get right into mechanics because there was a fight. And whenever you are fighting, you have to. And pacing wise, it was very enjoyable because we started with some fun RP, mm-hmm. but then not too far in, we got a great example of the mechanics. And it's not like okay, you're fighting. 20 soldiers using advanced tactics you're all gonna die no it's you're fighting a couple of bikers these are not super lethal foes so if you guys make a mistake it's not that you're instantly going to die but there's definitely enough of a threat that if you screw up these guys want to beat your ass into the ground yeah and then it wasn't the fact that we were super successful but just the fact that we were able to be successful because in a lot of in a lot of games, uh, as you said, a less adroit storyteller might have been into kind of teaching us a lesson about where we are in the power scale of the game by kicking our asses at that point, and 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 and, and teaching us, oh well, you guys are the bottom of the food chain. But at no point did I think to myself, oh, I'm playing an underpowered Kuro character because at every up until the very end, when I encountered people who are like the real PCs or whatever. Up until that point, the context of the game had been completely even. I felt like, oh, this is I'm doing stuff that is at my power level. This is the game. I well, didn't know I didn't know it wasn't the game. Another moment where I want to praise what Bailey did as a GM. So our characters win the fight with the other gang. In fact, one of yeah. our PCs does a really good job and just stomps the other guy. So we come home and we're feeling pretty badass. And what he did to roll with that is he decided, oh, cool, that guy that you beat up. He's dead. You didn't actually kill him, but you beat him up a little too good, and he's died off screen. And he turned that immediately into the hook for the second act, shall we say, of the adventure, where some actual gangsters show up and, in short, let us know that, hey, that guy you beat up, he's dead, and he's someone's important cousin. So I had I had a lot of hard a lot of hard problems with that. I like and it sounds like it went over a lot better. I mean the interesting thing was all the other PCs I think were gone and it was just Heather's character who was left at the bar when they went to find her. Right, because uh, Ben and I were getting tattoos. Yeah, you guys are getting tat- victory tattoos. I can't remember what Phil was doing. Uh, Phil was getting like touched up I think by the doctor. And oh then, right, yeah, because yeah. he got his ass kicked. Or yeah, something. He, he, he poor Phil got uh got shanked or something I think. Um, anyway. I, I had a lot of a lot of hard thoughts about that because I I didn't want to like I didn't want to be like oh here's the line like you guys are fucked you know like yeah like you guys are just shit stains on the fucking underwear here. but in a way it felt like a compliment to us like you are so good you are so effective at beating people up that you have to reap what you earned from being so badass yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. glad it came across well and it didn't feel like I was like bludgeoning everybody. Oh, no, that was real consequence. There's a difference to, between consequence and then heavy-handed power tripping. And and players are all will always know the difference and they'll always feel sensitive to it. Okay, that's good to know. I, I, I'm glad it came across better than I, as, as well as I hoped it would. Because um, it was always the plan to sort of bring everybody into like working for the Chinese mob there. Mm-hmm. That was that was the plan. It was just how I was going to get you guys there. So So what was your takeaway from the session? 
What, um, what, what are you planning on doing for for uh, for for a crit hit now? What what I want to do is I want to seed a little bit more horror early into the game. Um, are you still playing on two hours? Or are you going to go up to not ratchet it up? To I would four? honestly say don't do two hours. Do a minimum of three, maybe all the way up to four, because two hours was really fun, but it felt like I only got to eat half the meal. It did feel kind of like when you order pizza and then you only get two slices. Yeah, that like, that was fuck? that was my thought. Like I wanted to keep going. Um, I wanted to because the next next arc was where I was really starting the starting the horror aspect coming in. Um, you know, and then I didn't get a chance to really do that part. So I felt like I was kind of like I, I as the as the as the teller of the story was sort of cheated on that as well. Um, so I definitely plan on extending some time and doing more in, in uh, crit hit. So well, and for the listeners out there, one of the takeaways I got from that day was how both of these sessions could work. In that uh, Brendan's session w- felt like sort of a latte. It's it's two hours. I drink it. I'm done. I don't need a meal with it. I enjoyed this quick shot of pulp fantasy. Whereas Bailey's felt more like a nice meal. It's not a seven-course feast, but I need three to four hours to properly appreciate all the meat that there is in front of me. I can't just down it and go. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that entirely. I agree with that assessment. I've been I've been rewriting my sessions so that it'll be longer, and it's gonna be less obvious. And I've been putting a lot more work into it, and it's less of an outline, more of an actual session. Well, and one of the things I'd kind of want to ask the con directors, what length do you have covered? If he already says, well, mm. I've got you know a lot of six-hour sessions, and I've got a good number of four-hour, offering him two- to three-hour sessions might be really helpful. It's not a bad idea. that's going to fill time for those gamers who maybe have one or two hours free at an odd moment, or maybe I'm there with my younger brother who I know won't sit still for four hours, but I might be able to get him to sit still for two. Well, I'm really hoping to run like a very kind of like adults only game anyway. So, I mean, we, Jim's, Jim's insisting that all tables have the X card and I'm willing to go along with it, but I, I want to run lamentations in a lamentations way. Oh, and there's nothing know? wrong with saying I'm going to run an 18 plus only table, but even still, I'm sure we all know some adults who would benefit from a two-hour session versus a, a five-hour session. Of course, of course, you're right. How about you, Ben? What, 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 what are you gonna do? What, what are you gonna do differently? Well, my my take my my takeaway was as follows. Um, I'm not going into this. I this is the first time I read, played, or you know touched Kuro, um, and the the rules are quite involved. Um, I uh, I limited a lot of what I had available by like the story, the direction I took the story which I thought was very helpful. But there were still like parts of st- the systemics that I wasn't necessarily clear on, which I don't think necessarily came across as we played. I tried to keep them as like as brisk and as fast-paced as we could so that that didn't come across. Um, you succeeded. That's, that's yeah. great. That's great news. Uh, so I, I just wanted to be sort of like more aware of that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, I wanted, I wanted more horror. Uh, I'm going to work that in as well. But I think the fact that you didn't have horror in the first half is not necessarily a weakness because it lets us get comfortable. Exactly. We know this world. Exactly. We know what to expect. So then at the 50 or 60% mark of the storyline, if all of a sudden that dead body gets up and talks, it's going to be a little bit easier for us to believe, wow, my character's freaked out. Yeah, did I, did yeah. I tell you the sample adventure in the back of the book for that game? Uh, you did not. There's a sample adventure in there that like uh, that like runs everybody through a story and it's just like a cyberpunk story until the exact end where is this like crazy like supernatural reveal that like like apparently stuns like everybody who runs it and who has no idea what to expect 
Hmm. So it's um it's kind of it's kind of like kind of like uh, something I was hoping to maybe kind of try that same sort of feel and what I did um at Crit Hit. So cool, cool, good. Now, um, Ben, you you did some kind of interesting role playing a few days before we had that little mini session sessions. So what? And you were giving us some anecdotes at the time, but it sounded like you were doing something really interesting. To be totally honest, uh, you had, you had, you had kind of invited me to participate, but because of scheduling conflicts, I wasn't able to. But what, it sounded very interesting, and I'm hoping that maybe next year I'll be able to. Why don't you, why don't you lay All it right. out? So there is a charter school network called Basis here in the Phoenix metro area, and one of my best friends is a teacher over at Basis Awatuki. Ah, they so this have is a, a charter school. I was wondering how they were able to get away with doing this. It doesn't sound like public school. Yep, thing. it's a charter school, and it has a very aggressive curriculum. So aggressive that the kids have completed the year's schoolwork a week before the end of school. Mm-hmm. Because of this, the administration offers to the teachers, submit proposals for that last week. What do you want to do with it? We'll give you a small budget, and as long as it has anything close to academic legitimacy, we'll run with you on it. So one teacher, for example, was doing Cuisine of the World. Another teacher was running a chess tournament. Um, one teacher was doing um, niche music lessons. Okay. And my friend and some of the other teachers decided we're going to run a mini Comic-Con. So there was a room showing anime. There was a room showing Western shows like uh, Firefly. There was a room where people were learning how to paint minis. And surprise, surprise, there was a room teaching kids how to play RPGs. Nice. And so for several days, I was there, um, occasionally with a few friends, running very straightforward, kid-friendly RPG demos for the 4th through 8th grade crowd. And it was wonderful. The kids were very enthusiastic. They jumped into their roles, usually. A few of them were shy, But by the end of the session, even they were having fun. And one of the things that I loved the most was seeing at this young an age where they haven't been told certain hobbies are for certain genders, almost every session was a 50-50 boy-girl ratio. Oh, nice. That's good. Yeah. and You got to hook them while they're young. You know what I'm saying? That's how you get in. Oh, it was so sweet hearing a few of the kids talk about how, oh, I play D&D with my father. And... They were just so excited to get to show their classmates that. Mm. And you could kind of tell, okay, this kid's been playing a while. They know what to do. But then there were kids who'd never played before, but they've seen cartoons and movies, and they're happy to uphold the tropes they've seen before. Yeah, yeah. Um, What I used was a simplified version of D&D 5th edition, because in my experience, 5th ed is very good for new players. But it's still too complex for, say, a fifth grader or below. So I stripped away a lot of the extraneous stuff, um, removed, say, some extra abilities a character might have, and instead of having six spells to choose from, you now have three. Because one of the things I learned with kids is they'll often focus on the first couple of things on their character sheet. So, like, at the bottom of the sheet, the mage has a ring of fireballs. Kids often wouldn't read that far down, and they would just keep casting Ray of Frost. Mm, okay. Um, I had to often remind them, like, hey, Mr. Monk, you have a key pool. You see those two abilities you can use? Do you want to spend a key point and use one of them? 
because the kids just would would focus through their excitement on oh i, I can punch i'm i'm going to punch him <laughs> yeah yeah um another thing i realized because i'm so used to jamming for adults kids often look for direction and it makes sense because we teach them you know raise your hand before you speak you need the teacher's permission to go use the bathroom so handing them a character and saying what do you do next was a little weird for some of them and i would never for example have the captain of the guard turn to an adult's pc and go i need you to defend the city gate go over there yeah but with a kid I look to her and, you know, they're beating down the gate to the city. Trolls are carrying a battering ram. Orcs are climbing over the walls. What will you do? I, I don't know. Okay, so now the captain of the guard says, we must hold the gate. Come with me. And all of a sudden she's happy to go with him because it's not that she doesn't want to role play. Yeah. It's that this looked to be about sixth grader just wasn't used to that amount of initiative. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I, I thought one of the more inter- interesting anecdotes I thought was when you were talking about it earlier to us, uh, this is actually right after I ran Kuro, I think, was that uh, you had the kids come up with their own names and then like a, a descriptive phrase about themselves. Oh, yeah. So some of those were priceless. They really were. Oh, yeah. We, we had some typical names like one guy played Bob, but then we also had Briarthorn. We had the X Terminator. <laughs> um, we had Lord Jeffrey the Third. Nice, <laughs> I like that one. And rather than just an open-ended, tell me about your character, it was tell me three things. Like, are they covered in scars? Do they have a pet monkey? What's their favorite food? Just three things. And some of the kids struggled a little to come up with three. Others, I had to stop them at three. And you so many I think some of the kids were like riffing on each other and like someone wanted to make someone else laugh or something like that. I think, I think um, well, two, one of them, one of them says, oh, I'm enemies with his character. OK, why are you guys enemies? He stole my chicken. <laughs> and I can't remember what the other guy did. It was something equally silly. But, yeah, they're happy to riff off each other. Another one was like, I love cats and rabbits. So, of course, the next kid has to be like, I love cats hunting cats and rabbits <laughs> there was that one person who says who's like my character is completely insane <laughs> that, was that would be uh lord jeffrey the <laughs> third who when i ask that kid for his three details i'm schizophrenic and my father abused me and i forget his third detail but everyone sort of like looks askance for a moment wow that that went dark really fast but he didn't play it as a very realistic, I am a child of abuse. Right, right. So much as just, I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did like the classic 90s Malkavian. Very much so. Which actually worked out well in that he was so crazy, he convinced both the rest of the party and the NPCs that he was evil before then sabotaging the evil uh, tunneling machine that he had been assigned to because, of course, you're evil. Come work with us. Nice. Nice. Classic. Um, did have to occasionally put my foot down in ways that I don't with adults. Um, some of the kids, I think they enjoy testing the GM, so they would do... <laughs> Imagine a, that. A little bit more craziness. <laughs> um, like, one of them wanted to run from the encounter. Literally, combat starts. Okay, I run away. Well, that's a perfectly reasonable response. <laughs> combat starts? Who wants to be in that? <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah. So so you're at a bar and and uh, 
You you manage to bump into a guy and he just draws a knife. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, usually away? though, you haven't gone to that bar after the mayor says, "Hey, here's some money. There's an evil mage at the bar. I need you to take care oh, of him." Oh, so these they had been assigned to to do some combat, and then the second the combat started, they're like, "We're out of here." One or two of them were. Uh, the other thing I wanted to share on the podcast was uh, plot design for kids. Mm, hit me I, up. Hit I me learned up. two things that worked very well with kids, and I'm sure with some fiddling could apply to adults as well. The first, this is more for the fourth through sixth grade crowd because they are younger. They're not going to be as patient. I wanted a very short adventure, and I found I could run the following in about 40 to 60 minutes. And it's describe how you're arriving in town, describe how it's deserted and creepy, I give them a couple minutes, and I only mean like three, maybe four minutes of role-playing. The town is empty and creepy, and maybe they knock on some doors. They see someone shut a window real quick, and they'll they'll finally meet a villager. I would always do, um, like, there's one villager who's just scared, and they can have some comedic role-playing where the villager tries to convince them that no one's home, go away. Mm, and then there will okay. be a second villager who gives them a little bit of the exposition dump of, oh, monsters have been attacking, the Johnson family was dragged off last night, you have to help us. And middle of that scene, zombies show up. And then we have a nice fight with zombies. And I would usually just keep it to about two rounds because that was long enough that everyone's had fun. And then at the end of the second round, the necromancer shows up, usually with more zombies. Or maybe a, a zombie ogre as his mini-boss. And then the rest of the session is just kill the necromancer, have a brief couple minutes epilogue, and we're done. But that way they have had a fully contained plot line that is some classic fantasy and even a little bit of horror tropes without going much over an hour. Yeah. And... I, I would try to work in. Was the hour a limitation uh, of the of the uh, setting itself, in the sense, sense that like you were doing it in hour segments to sort of work the con experience? I had everybody? more kids interested in signing up to play than I had time, oh, so that's I awesome. knew no matter what, we're probably not going to get through all kids. Fortunately, we were able to this year, but in previous years, not everyone got to play. So my goal was to choose what I felt the sweet spot would be, where you're actually getting to role play, you're having a good experience. But it's short enough that I can cycle as many kids through as can so that a lot of them get to have this experience. Sure, sure. Let me ask you something. So you're doing this at a school, okay, and it's charter school. Now, what is the disposition of the school and the faculty? Is there buy-in from the parents? You're not going to get blowback for the fantasy or for the horror, for the violence. I mean, obviously, I imagine you're keeping this all kind of toned down and cartoonish. But I think that we can all, everybody at this table can remember a time when bringing your D&D books to school, was, you were waiting for that one parent who's going to freak out on you for being like a Satan worshiper. Or, just, or, or has the culture shifted? People just are familiar with these ideas now. It's hard to say. Basis has a very deserved reputation as being an academically challenging and very rigorous school. They actually require parents to sign an involvement contract saying, I as a parent will participate, I will do the following things to support my student, or I will be uninvited to re-enroll next year. Um, so there's a high degree of trust from those parents uh, for the teachers. Similarly, there's a massive amount of trust from the administration to the teachers. They work hard to hire very high-quality teachers, 
and so they support them if the teachers say, I want to do X. Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty good understanding that if the art teacher says, hey, we're going to be doing um, a figure drawing class, and there might be some classical nudes, yes, the art teacher might send a note home at the start of the semester, there will be a few nudes, we're doing a classical figure drawing class, but this is Michelangelo's David, I'm not showing your kids porn. Right. Similarly, there's that trust, we're giving you this week to do a project, potentially this mini convention, we, the administration, are going to trust you that this is, like you're going to show them Sailor Moon, you're not going to show them R-rated anime. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I think the the amount of discussion we had was something like, hey, Ben, just keep in mind this is fourth through eighth grade. Okay, no problem. We didn't get into the plot's contents any more than that yeah. because they were trusting me as an adult to have a reasonable idea of what's appropriate for a fourth grader. And if it's appropriate for a fourth grader, then no problem with the older grades. Really, the only time that came up the entire um, convention was during one scene where they are breaking into a casino and they've knocked out one of the wait staff and the party rogue says, um, party rogue is being played by a young girl. I'm going to take off her uniform and I'm going to wear the uniform so I can pretend to be wait staff and I'm going to give out these drinks that have been laced with a sleeping potion so we can steal the diamond. Great. Sure. But as she's doing that, one of the, I'm guessing, 7th to 8th grade boys says, oh, 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 and then while she's unconscious, let's rape her. Wow. And one, I think he was just doing it as a sort of shock value joke. But being the adult at the table, at that point, I just looked at him and like, no, we're not. This is not that kind of game. And that's not funny. And he almost immediately said, yeah, okay. And I think a few of the other kids looked at him. So I just looked around the table because I wanted to make absolutely sure that we were not going to have stories coming back to parents of how, right. oh, they knocked, knocked a girl unconscious and then they raped her. So I just said really quick, some things are not appropriate for a role-playing game. We're playing heroes, not horrible people. And then we continued the game. Yeah. And I took that boy aside about an hour later when they were transitioning to another class. And I just said, look, I know you were just making a joke, but you have to remember not everyone would know that you're joking and there are some things that are not funny to joke about so we don't do that when we're role-playing okay and i don't know if he truly understood but he at least nodded and it seemed like he listened to me okay i'm not a teacher and this is a very brief interaction so i'm gonna leave it there i don't feel i need to chew you out more but i feel like that was the responsible amount of feedback i as an adult should give him in this context. Yeah. I mean, as they say, you know, kids say the darndest, darndest things. Yeah. My, my girlfriend's a, a, a nanny, and she, she comes back to me with these stories that are just, you know, because people are very sensitive now, and kids, they don't know what they're saying. They say, they say stuff, and you just have to be careful about that kind of thing. So these parents are involved in their, in their kids' academic career here because they signed that contract or whatever, so they were pretty much aware of what was going on during this whole convention week thing you guys were doing, and none of them were like, I don't want little Johnny to play in that Dungeons & Dragons game. And this is the part where I honestly don't know. I don't know how much influence the parents had with saying, I want you to take the cooking class or I want you to do the role-playing they may have had some influence, they may not. I really can't speak to that. But I do know that they at least had a sheet saying these are the different things that will be going on. 
and it was a first-come, first-serve sign-up. So once the chess tournament had 20 sign-ups, sorry, no one else can be in the chess tournament. There was a chess tournament? Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, and, it, like, the, the cooking class for Food of the World, that filled up the fastest because everyone wants to try new food for free for a week. <laughs> sure. Uh, now, you were saying that the, was there any miniatures gaming there, or were you talking about getting some miniatures gaming there next year? We did a tiny amount of miniatures gaming. So it lasted for about five days, I want to say. And for So the whole con was five days, Monday through Friday? Yep. Oh, jeez. And four and a half of the days, there was a miniature painting class. Really simple, just here are some minis, here are paints. I'm going to teach you the most basic techniques, like this is what base coating is, and tomorrow this is what dry brushing is. But unless the kids came and asked the teacher specific questions, he tried to keep it very straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, on the final day, a few kids actually said, so what do you do with these figures? <laughs> and we spent maybe two hours or so running a very simple War Machine Hordes demo. Okay. And the kids loved it. They loved seeing the painted figures in action. And we'd also brought out a battle map and some terrain. So, oh, wow, this thing is next to a farmhouse and there's some trees there. Oh, this looks great. And we had just as many girls interested in playing as boys. So what you're saying is uh, next time this goes on, I can ship you some minis that I don't want to paint and have children paint it free, free labor. Uh, they're not going to give those minis back <laughs> because they love their minis. And the kids were That's telling fair. me stories like, oh, I painted this Noel, Mr. Ben, and I've called him the Beast, and he's a fighter. You see, he's got this, this like, mace thing. It's a flail. He's got this flail. <laughs> also, first time I've seen a Noel with blue fur, but hey, good for you, kid. Maybe he dyed it. Maybe he's like a punk Noel. Uh, it's true. You know, in other news, they've got that uh, Frostgrave expansion coming out. And uh, it's going to be the first boxed set of Knoll Sprue that I've ever seen. You'll be, you'll be able to buy a box that has like, like 20 buildable Knolls in it of all different classes, which is kind of oh, cool. cool. It's like one of the coolest one of the coolest things coming out of Frostgrave in addition to all those already great rules. Kids love it when you let them have power because so many of them for so much of their lives, they don't have power. They are told you're going to school, like it or not and mom signed you up for dance class afterwards, maybe you get to say, well, I don't want to do dance, I'd rather do soccer. Okay, you got that choice, but you're still told you're going to have an after-school activity. Deal with it. That's true. So a lot of them, both in the war game, in the stories they tell about minis they painted, and in role-playing, loved having some power. Most of them still needed a bit of direction, but, for example, another game that I ran for them, and this was about... Let's call it an hour and a half long adventure. For those of you who played Warhammer Fantasy back in the day, there was an event called the Storm of Chaos, where Archaon and his hordes sweep down from the north and invade uh, the Empire. And it's a few hours before I'm supposed to run this thing, and I need an adventure, so I mercilessly rip off the Storm of Chaos. Yeah. Who's going to know? Well, it's great because it has some very strong personalities. I don't need to think... What is this warlord like? I, Ben, the gamer, already know who Archaon Everchosen is. So, boom, <laughs> I've got my villain all set. Nice. And in this case, I found the perfect place to put the PCs was in the council of 
Ulrich, high priest of the White Wolf. He's leading the defense of the city, and you guys are on his council. So the very opening scene of this adventure is I describe the chaos horde that's coming in from the north. I describe the fear in the citizenry. And then Ulrich turns to the players and says, I have drawn you six to come lead the defense of this city. What are your ideas to save us? So they're not completely in command. They have someone above them. Yeah. But now I've given them the power of whatever you say, Ulrich the high priest is going to do. So one of the kids very nervously said, um, we should... We should train the citizens how to fight. Excellent idea. We will do that. You, wizard, what do you think? Uh, I, I could use magic to, to make the catapult stronger. Ah, that is a wonderful idea. You have my support. And as long as they gave me anything to work with, which they all did, that is a great idea. I fully support it. Go do, and you will have all the resources of the town. So whatever they wanted, oh, you need men? Talk to the captain of the guard. He shall give you men. Oh, you too. You wish to scout the enemy army? Excellent. You have my finest horses. Go and do it. So they really got to feel like we are leading the defense of the city. But if, as children, they had moments of indecision or were not really sure what to do next, I could have the captain of the guard or the sage pop up and say, Oh, noble adventurer, I have heard the following. Maybe it will help you. So I could give them that little nudge. Yeah, yeah, the, the little little dis ice machina to kind of kind of keep them on the on the path, right? And at the same time, throw out so many of the rules as needed, like hit points. Honestly, um, I was using um, there were hit points, but I was taking a page from D and D fourth edition mm-hmm. where there are these things called minions. Minions have one hit point. They uh, are yeah. the nameless horde of gibbering monsters that you can mow down in droves. Right, right, right. So when I have, you know, the horde of chaos attacking the city, if it doesn't have a name, it's a minion. You hit it, you kill it. Mm -hmm. Conversely, they were fighting Archeon. Archeon, in this particular game for the kids, didn't have a set number of hit points. It was, I've been watching the table and seeing... Is it climactic yet? Okay, no. We've only done one round of combat. The kids need to really fight a bit more. Second round, okay, now everyone's gotten to do something. Third round, once the kids have all taken an action, whoever's last in the round, and I'm not telling them this, but I'm cheating a little, whoever's last in initiative is going to take Archeon down if they hit him. Mm -hmm. So all the kids have now had three rounds of a big boss fight with Archeon. Great, we're done. Yay, you've saved the city. (laughs) <laughs> nice, nice. So um, do you think you're going to be doing this again next oh, year? absolutely. It is amazingly rewarding doing this for children, both because you get to see unbridled happiness, especially for kids who don't get to role play much, and they've heard about it, they want to try it. And at the same time, there's that feeling of pride of, I am actually benefiting my hobby. Because mm, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are a few people listening to this who maybe are really new to RPGs, and they're learning about it from us, and they're having a good time. But I'd bet you that more than 50% of your listeners are already invested in RPGs. This is a thing for them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And with these kids, yes, there were a couple who already played games with their family, but well over 70%. I'm having a moment where if I do a good job, this kid might have a new hobby for the rest of their life, or even maybe the next couple of years. Sure. And this is how we keep our hobby alive by showing the next generation this is a fun thing. Would you like to come do it with me? And it wasn't really even just a couple of years ago. 
that it looked as though it was over. Like, we were the last generation that was going to be doing this thing. Absolutely not the case. And, and as yeah, I mentioned yeah. before, because many of these kids are very young, they've not been told this is a boy's hobby. Mm-hmm. There were so many girls interested in this, and also so many ethnicities. I had just as many brown kids as white, as Latino, as Asian. There was pretty much no group that stood out. It was roughly the same ethnic breakdown as the school. Just kids were interested in this. That's and awesome, actually. It is, because D&D has been taking some effort to, to address that. And now even GW, the most recalcitrant of them all, yes. with, its, with its Warhammer Quest, its new Warhammer Qu- or Hero Quest, the new Hero Quest edition, uh, has has a black priest in it, which, I mean, my God, I never thought I'd live Salamanders to see Salamanders aren't African-American. They're just black-skinned white dudes. Well, and another thing that I want to commend uh, Reaper Miniatures, a company out of Texas, for. We specifically chose all the miniatures we gave the kids to practice painting on. We didn't want anything that might be too questionable. So, for example, the Succubus Mini, we didn't use her. (laughs) There was, like, an evil queen, but she's in robes and she's not showing too much skin. Mm -hmm. And Reaper is wonderful because they have a massively diverse selection of female minis that aren't cheesecake. And we wanted to make sure that there were lots of non-cheesecake options for young girls to paint, and there were. Now, mind you, plenty of the girls painted either male figures or things where you couldn't tell the gender, like a werebear. Who knows what gender it is? They just want to paint the massive creature. And what surprised me, maybe a quarter, give or take, of the kids that played in my sessions played a cross-gender character. Um, I I don't mean transgender. I mean they played across their own gender. Yeah. And it didn't really come up much, like, it didn't matter whether their character was a guy or a girl, they probably would have said and done the same things, but they just had fun for whatever reason saying, oh, I'm playing this, and he does these things. Um, Maybe it was because they thought, oh, a barbarian's going to be better if it's a boy, or maybe it is the player thinking, wow, it'd be fun to pretend I'm a boy for an hour and do boy stuff. Okay, I'm going to do it. And that's the quintessential experience right that's there's some bloodthirsty sixth graders out there let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) what was that one kid who said like i like to murder oh yes um going with the give me three things about your character one of them was i like murdering not i like battle i like conquest i like murder i like murder (laughs) and that was a girl playing a male barbarian well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to induct her into the full metal RPG cult because I think she's I think she's just about there. Yeah, honorary membership already. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Once you're old enough to cut, yeah. come on board. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Um, anybody have anything they want to close with? We'll be uh, on air again soon as we uh, record at uh, Leprechaun. Yeah, if um, you're listening to this and you are gonna be at Leprechaun, then come by and see us at the table and say something into our microphone, and we'll put it on the freaking internet man and for those of you out there who want to give back to the hobby consider talking to your friendly local gaming store about running demos not just of rpgs but whatever games you love talk with the store owner and if you can set up a family friendly demo of any game they will be more than happy to work with you because be it a school's after school club or a gaming store they want to get kids into the hobby and realize you may have to change a few things to make it kid-friendly, but it is absolutely worth the time doing. I've just never had a um, 
uh, local game store owner tell me no in terms of generating programming for their store. But, you know, everybody, they, they need local hobby clubs. They need local demos. They need stuff. So exactly what you're saying. Maybe give, even give back a little bit. If you've got kids or if you're involved somehow with people who have kids, talk to their school. Some of these kids were working with their Latin teacher to create an after-school D&D club next year, and I guarantee you that kind of school could use one or two parents stopping by saying, I'll help GM. Exactly, and seriously, like hit up Wizards of the Coast and say, yo, if I start, a, if I start an after-school program, how many starter boxes are you going to give me? Because there's just something that tells me that they would. Anyway, so that's all we got for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for uh, bearing with us during our short absence. Thanks for coming back. I it's hope good to be back. Yeah, indeed, it really is. And uh, thank you, Ben, for stopping by. We really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, and have fun gaming, all you guys who've been listening. Excellent. You guys have a good night. <laughs>